0: Scripture reading is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 39. Mark chapter 1, 14 through 39, and the text is verse 35. Let's start the scripture reading at Mark 1, verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and none, that is, right away, straightway, they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak. Because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our prayer day service is a time historically when we commit the planting season and the growing season into the Lord's care. Our prayer day service is a time when we humbly acknowledge that our daily provision comes from the hand of the Lord and that we look to Him to continue to supply our daily needs. That, historically, is what prayer day is for. That's why prayer day takes place right before the spring. Sometimes, however, for prayer day, uh, for the prayer day service, we can take a broader perspective and we can meditate on prayer itself and how we should really be bringing everything to the Lord in prayer all the time. And that's what we want to do in the sermon tonight. And considering that we are, or we were, going through a series on glimpses into the heart of Jesus, I thought it would be beneficial and enjoyable to take the time tonight on prayer day to consider the prayer life of Jesus Himself. Jesus, of course, was a man of prayer, and that is an utterly fascinating thing to think about. On the one hand, we might say that Jesus was a man of prayer is obvious, You see it throughout his entire earthly ministry. He's constantly praying. And yet on the other hand, we might say, if there was anyone who could have gone without a devotional life and who could have skipped a prayer life, I suppose it could be Jesus. Because Jesus was perfect in every way. Jesus was and is God in the flesh. Jesus is wisdom in the flesh. What need, we might say, at first thought, does Jesus have for prayer? And we might even say, Jesus is so busy doing kingdom work. Jesus is so busy with teaching and preaching and performing miracles and doing the work of the Lord that maybe, of all people, Jesus would have been justified in leaving off a robust devotional life. After all, He had so many responsibilities, so many good things that were occupying Him that of all people, He might have been justified in in being slack in His devotions. Yet, as we know, Jesus was a man of continual prayer. That's striking. Tonight, we want to consider this deep and glorious aspect of who Jesus is. Jesus was and is today a man of prayer. He is a man with a heart given to prayer. And with the Lord's blessing tonight, as we consider this aspect of who Jesus is, we will ourselves be reminded of the joy and privilege of a rich prayer life. We will be reminded of our own need for constant prayer and, and I hope we will be provoked unto a richer and deeper prayer lives ourselves so that it's not just a day of prayer but we carry this forward and we become people of prayer more and more because we, it, it is hard work and we always need that. And that should do us good. Also as we consider the planting season and the growing season, as we consider our daily needs, our work that we take up every day, That should do us good as we consider all our needs. So we take as our theme tonight, a heart given to prayer. And we look at three things. First, we look at the activity itself, Jesus' heart given to prayer. Second, the explanation of this, Jesus praying. And then third, the example for us. And before we go to Mark 1, verse 35, I first want to go through other passages from the gospel accounts and simply point out to you how many times we read of Jesus praying. This is not going to be an exhaustive lesson. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to turn with me to these passages, but I just want to show you, I want to put before you how often we read of Jesus praying. And it's very striking because it starts right away at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry when He enters into His work, when He's baptized at the Jordan River. In Luke 3, verse 21, we read, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also, being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him, And a voice from heaven came which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now that's very striking. At the very moment Jesus is installed into office, at the very moment that he enters into his work in a formal way, Jesus has the posture of praying. That's how he took up his office. Praying. A few chapters later, in Luke 5, verses 15 and 16, we read this, But so much the more went there a fame abroad of Him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by Him of their infirmities. And He withdrew Himself into the wilderness and prayed. That's striking. Jesus was so busy in His work His daily work, you might say, of preaching and healing that He intentionally made sure to draw away from the work, draw away from the crowds of people in order to spend time with God in prayer. That was the prayer habit of our Savior. Jesus realized that His communion with the Father was essential for the fulfillment of His ministry. He withdrew Himself into the wilderness and prayed. One chapter later, in Luke 6, verses 12 and 13, we read that the night before Jesus picked and ordained the twelve apostles, Jesus went up into a mountain by himself to pray. In Luke 6, verses 12 and 13, we read, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Jesus continued all night in prayer. That's amazing, beloved. Jesus prayed all night long. The moon ran its course, and Jesus kept praying. The temperature kept dropping degree by degree and Jesus kept praying. And the dew started to fall on the ground and make the grass wet and Jesus continued to pray all night long. And Jesus' prayers are perfect prayers, beloved. No distractions, no superficiality, no language that he was using just out of rote uh, memory, right? How we can so often fall into that which isn't always bad, but, but sometimes we say it without thinking. Not, none of that, but perfect fellowship with the Father. For an entire night, he spent himself in focused prayer. And why did he pray so fervently? Because the next day, he had the momentous occasion of choosing the twelve apostles, the very future of the church and the rest of his earthly ministry. If we continue merely looking at the book of Luke... We come to Luke 9, verse 18, and in Luke 9, verse 18, we read, And it came to pass, as He was alone praying, His disciples were with Him. Here in Luke 9, verse 18, we read that Jesus sought out alone time to be with His God in prayer. A few verses later in Luke 9, verse 28, we read that Jesus took Peter and James and John and went up into a mountain to pray. And we read that as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And children, that sounds familiar. What you have there is Jesus' transfiguration on on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was as Jesus was in the posture of praying that Jesus is transfigured and he gets a foretaste of glory. And we learn from a few verses later that the disciples had fallen asleep. The disciples had fallen asleep, but Jesus continued to pray. And then when they woke up, you remember the rest, right? Peter's all uh, out of his mind, and he says, let's make three altars, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But the point is, Jesus was praying, and he was transfigured. In Luke 11, we come to the chapter where Jesus teaches His disciples the Lord's Prayer. And we all know the Lord's Prayer, but do you remember how that whole setting starts out? We read in Luke 11, verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now that's striking too, isn't it? Jesus is praying. Jesus finishes his prayer and his disciples immediately ask him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And I think the idea is this, the way Jesus prayed made such an impression on the disciples. His praying was so beautiful, so intimate, exactly like what prayer should be that his disciples were basically asking, Lord, teach us to pray that way. We want to pray like you pray. Now, Jesus obviously was the master of the heavenly art of prayer. And at His feet, the disciples desired to sit that they might learn to pray as Jesus prayed. So Jesus had a heart given over to prayer. You keep going. We know how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before His crucifixion. We read in Luke 22, verse 39, that it was Jesus' habit to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we may presume that it was Jesus' habit not just to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, but that He might go there in order that He might pray in solitude in the Garden. That was Jesus' habit. That was His regular custom, to go to a lonely place in order to pray. And then strikingly, in Luke 22, verse 44, we read, and being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. That's astonishing too. Here is Jesus praying... And he's praying perfectly as it is. And then we read, and he prayed more earnestly. That itself is a wonder. How Jesus himself advances in earnestness in his own prayers. Then we read about Jesus, how he prayed from the cross of Calvary. He made numerous prayers from the cross, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Into thy hands, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Who can forget the whole chapter devoted to prayer? John chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Who can forget Jesus' prayer at the graveside of Lazarus? Or how before the the feeding of the 5,000, he he lifts up his uh, hands unto the Lord and he prays and he gives thanks. Before he institutes the Lord's Supper, he prayed. He prays for Peter, that Peter's faith fail not. Satan wants to sift Peter as wheat, but Jesus says he's prayed for him that his faith fail not. After his resurrection, you read of Jesus praying on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. From the beginning to the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus was a man of prayer. And then think about it. Even today, Jesus is still the man of prayer. Today. From the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 7 verse 25, we read that Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for his people. Jesus has a heart given to prayer. That's the point. And if we go back to Mark 1, verse 35, Mark 1, verse 35 is interesting and instructive for a few reasons of its own. First of all, we read in Mark 1, verse 35, that Jesus got up to pray while it was yet a great while before day. Early in the morning, Jesus got up. You can imagine him getting up from his bed, tiptoeing across the kitchen, out the door, and finding a, a solitary place to pray. Not letting anyone else be awakened. But then, maybe the other disciples were already awake, or for whatever reason. But they go out and they follow him. Or maybe afterwards they follow him. But point is, Jesus got up early in the morning to pray. Second of all, what is striking is that Jesus had just spent, in this, in this context here, Jesus had just spent a very busy day doing all kinds of different things. First, he preached in the synagogue and he taught the people. Then he healed a man with an unclean spirit. Then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then in the evening, while the sun was setting, the people in the town brought to Jesus all their sick folk, and Jesus healed many of them. And who knows how late into the night Jesus continued to heal the sick. And then what do you read? The next morning, early in the morning, Jesus gets up to go out to pray. Isn't that amazing? And then third of all, in addition to all of that, consider not just what I said how busy the day was, but consider the fact that the day before was the Sabbath day. It was a day full of spiritual activity. That's the point. A day full of being in God's Word, full of being in prayer, full of works of mercy. And the point is, after a full Sabbath day activity, are you a person who's getting up early Monday morning first thing in order that you might go out and find a quiet place to pray? I think for myself, Monday morning is a time when I would prefer to take things easy. Maybe if I could sleep in a little longer, that would be ideal. But now here is Jesus, right? Early in the morning, the day after the Sabbath day, going out into a solitary place to pray. That's amazing how important prayer was for Jesus. Jesus couldn't go without prayer. Jesus refused to go without prayer. And then to bring this to ourselves tonight, one thing we can say in passing is this the servant is not greater than his master. And what I mean is, if Jesus needed this kind of prayer life, what kind of prayer life are we in need of? So often we can be lax in our prayer lives. We don't always appreciate our need for prayer and the blessing of prayer. We minimize maybe our need for prayer. And then we look at the example of Jesus. Not to to condemn us, that's not the point, But may the example of Jesus correct us and encourage us in the way of giving ourselves more and more over to God in prayer. Jesus himself had a heart that was given to prayer. Well, to move on, we should now ask the question, what explains Jesus' prayer life? Why was Jesus' prayer life what it was? And there are a few things we need to appreciate here. I have three things in the second point. First of all, we need to remember that Jesus was fully man. Now, that's something that we have emphasized way back when, when we were in this series. Uh, Remember, the last sermon was Jesus was tempted. In all points, tempted like as we are. We've emphasized this already. Jesus was fully man. But we can emphasize it again tonight. Jesus is not just fully God. He's also fully man. And it is from the viewpoint of who Jesus is as a man that Jesus is praying to God. To put it more clearly, we could say this. Jesus doesn't just have a human body. Jesus also has a human soul. He was in all points, just like you and me. Just like you and me, except sin. And in his soul... In his human soul, Jesus thirsted for God. In his human soul, Jesus craved for communion with the living God, his Father. So to be clear, when Jesus is praying to God, it's not the second person of the Trinity praying to the first person of the Trinity. That's not what it is. But it's the second person of the Trinity in his human nature. From the viewpoint of who he is as a man who He is in His human nature, who is praying to the triune God, just as you and I also pray to the triune God. And in His human nature, in His human soul, Jesus desired earnestly to be with His God. And He was with His God in prayer. That's what prayer is, communion with God. And Jesus is a man whose soul is perfectly devoted to God. And Jesus is a man whose soul is perfectly longing for God. And this is why He is constantly praying throughout His earthly ministry. Because Jesus lived His entire life in the spirit of prayer. And now here's something significant to point out. Although Jesus did live His entire life in the spirit of prayer... Jesus also very deliberately sought out certain moments of the day where he could enter into intimate, intentional, focused conversation with his God as a man. His whole life was a life of prayer, but then he also took out that time in his day to have that focused, intentional conversation with God. That's why Jesus prayed the way he did, because that's where his heart was at. His heart was enraptured with the desire to fellowship with his God. And now, congregation, if I may add, the reason you and I also long for God and and thirst for God is because Jesus is in you and Jesus is in me. And the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that Jesus shares with us so that we too, in Christ, we do have a longing for God and a desire to commune with God. It's because this is Jesus in us, imparting His Holy Spirit unto us so that we as men and as women and as children also have a small experience, that beginning of what Jesus experienced. So that, that first of all, is why He prayed, because He was a man. Second of all, why did Jesus pray the way that He did? He prayed the way that He did because prayer was the means whereby He was strengthened for His earthly walk and His calling before God. And now that adds something to the depths of who Jesus was as a man. As a man, Jesus is dependent upon His heavenly Father. According to His divine nature, Jesus could do anything. According to His divine nature, Jesus could have saved Himself. He could have come down from the cross. He could have done whatever He wanted. But the reason He came to earth and took upon Himself the form of a man was that Jesus might actually live as a man and yield Himself as a man entirely over to the Lord's purposes and promises, to His Father's purposes and promises. And to use the language of Scripture, Jesus in His human nature had to learn obedience. Not that Jesus was ever disobedient, but Jesus in His human nature had to experience obedience. What obedience to God's law meant, he had to experience that obedient living in all its parts. In his human nature, he had to trust God. In his human nature, Jesus had to cling to God's promises. In his human nature, Jesus had to seek his help from the Lord. In his human nature, he had to receive strength from above. His human nature was just like ours. Jesus was not some kind of superhero whose body was infinitely strong. No, Jesus was susceptible to fatigue and sorrow and other weaknesses of the body. And here's the point. Jesus didn't just need sleep, and he didn't just need food, and he didn't just need fellowship, friendship, but he needed prayer. In his human nature, Jesus needed prayer. And Jesus needed God to answer his prayers. This is how we are in our human natures. We are created with the need for prayer. We are created with a built-in dependence upon God. And Jesus, in His human nature, needed to pray, to ask God, His God, for strength for each day. In John 5, verse 30, Jesus says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. This is a wonder, congregation. But, but at the same time, as we think of it, as, as we've described it, we need to remember that Jesus' prayer life, at the same time, was not some stagnant, automatic, robotic process. It was real. And the part of the reason it was so real was because it was so necessary. Jesus had a felt need for prayer. It was only by prayer that Jesus was prepared for what he needed to do. It was only by prayer that Jesus was strengthened to walk the path to the cross. And now to help us understand this even more, let me add this third explanation to build on everything. The reason Jesus prayed, the reason prayer was necessary for Jesus was because not only was Jesus a man, but because Jesus came to this earth as our substitute. To fulfill all righteousness on our behalf. And part of his position as our perfect substitute included exactly this. Taking upon himself this position, this humbling position of being in need of prayer and having to make full use of prayer. God's people under the law must live in perfect dependence upon God. God's people under the law must live their lives seeking the Lord's strength, seeking the Lord's help. The law admonishes us to do that. God's people under the law must trust in God's promises and God's provisions. God's people under the law must live faithfully in a relationship of friendship with God, living with God as His friend-servant. And part of that relationship involves casting ourselves upon the Lord committing our way entirely to Him, submitting to His will for our lives, and then actively looking to Him and calling upon Him to supply our daily needs. That's how we live in our personal relationship with God. That's a big part of it, our prayer life. And Jesus became man and took upon Himself our flesh and our soul exactly so that He could do all these things perfectly for us on our behalf. And Jesus' prayer life is itself part of the way in which Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for God's people. We we need to appreciate that. Jesus' devotional life was a devotional life that He lived, not for Himself, although He did need it, But He lived that devotional life on your behalf and my behalf to fulfill that requirement of God's law for us, to live a perfect devotional life to God. And that's very important to remember in a sermon like this, beloved, because in a sermon like this tonight, we might be inclined to say, now look. Just as Jesus lived a perfect devotional life, now you tonight need to go home and you need to match up to that same kind of devotional life. Right? And if your devotional life doesn't look like Jesus, well then you're a failure. And you just need to work harder and do more work, pray longer, wake up earlier, go to bed later, and pray better. Pray, pray, pray. Do more, do more. And that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is this. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for us even in His devotional life. His perfect devotional life was lived on our behalf. We already have a perfect devotional life before God in Jesus Christ. We could put it this way. Legally, when I am judged before the law of God and when God judges what my devotional life looks like, God doesn't look at my devotional life God looks at Jesus' devotional life and it's on the basis of Jesus' perfect devotional life and Jesus' perfect life in all its entirety that I am righteous before God and I am given the fellowship and friendship with God that I have through Jesus Christ. And I'm given access to God in prayer on the basis of Jesus and His perfect devotional life. That, that's transformative, isn't it? For your whole devotional life, for the rest of your life, that, that's transformative. I'm not doing my devotions to earn anything or for a checklist, but I'm doing it because I have that same longing, that same need, that same life in me That Jesus had, because it's Jesus in me. To be with my God, to spend time with him, to have that personal relationship, to give him my prayer, to look to my praise, to look to him for my needs. Because of who we are in Jesus, we've been raised, we've we've been restored to that relationship of friendship with God. We're already righteous in Christ, and now we're also called as God's children to live faithfully a devotional life that's empowered by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Not to earn anything. Not so that we can be accepted of or approved of by God. But simply because this is the position God has given me as His child and as His friend in Jesus Christ. He calls me to live with Him. He calls me to live faithfully in this relationship of friendship that he's established in Jesus Christ. Now again, that's amazing, isn't it? I hope this study of Jesus' prayer life causes us to appreciate more fully what Jesus was doing during his earthly ministry, even with his prayer lives. Beloved, he was doing everything. That's the point. He was doing everything. He was living faithfully as God's Son. He was living faithfully as God's son. He was yearning for communion with the Father. And that was natural. That was inevitable. We might say, of course, this is how he lived. He came to earth as one who from the very beginning enjoyed fellowship with the Father. That's his father. And he's his son. He wants that. And yet at the very time, as Jesus yearned for that fellowship with the Father in his prayer life, Jesus was also fulfilling all righteousness for his people. That's what he was doing as their head and substitute. And then in addition to that, at the exact same time as he was living in perfect dependence upon the Father, and as he was living, uh, fulfilling all righteousness for his people, Jesus was also, maybe this is even the main way we read it today, or maybe not, but he was also giving us a perfect example of how we must now live in the relationship with we have in the relationship which we have with the Father through Jesus. Jesus, as He fulfills all righteousness, also gives us an example of how we, restored to fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ, must also live daily in dependence on our Heavenly Father. And it's out of Jesus that we too have the desire and the ability to pray unto God. Well, all this brings us to the third point of the sermon the example for us. And the example that Jesus gives for us is this. We need to be careful and deliberate in nurturing and maintaining our devotional life with the Lord, just like Jesus did. Maybe the biggest lesson of all that we see in Jesus' life is simply to prioritize our prayer life. Jesus took practical steps in order to separate himself from others and find a solitary place in order to have a time of communion with God. So it would do us good to do the same. What, what does Jesus himself say? He says, when you pray, go into your closet. Find a solitary place. Take time to be alone with God in prayer. And I think the, the real temptation today is to substitute busyness for prayer. Prayer. That's why a day of prayer is so important too, because right at the beginning, before all the busyness, our confidence is in the Lord. It's not in my work or my busyness, it's in the Lord. But that's the temptation, isn't it? We value busyness, we value industry, we value work over prayer. We need to prioritize our prayer lives. That doesn't mean we don't work hard. Jesus is also the perfect example of, of industry and stewardship, But Jesus also made sure to pray. He needed prayer and he wanted prayer. And in addition, we remember for us, life is about thankfulness. Life is about living out of the gospel, enjoying who God has made us in Jesus Christ and living to his glory in all that we do. And prayer stands at the heart of that. It's the chief way in showing our thanks to God. We'll look at that soon in the Catechism. Prayer stands at the heart of the abundant life we have in Jesus Christ. Either we are enjoying it or we are neglecting it. Second, the lesson we need to learn from Jesus' prayer life is that if He needed prayer, then how much more don't we stand in need of prayer? We need to pray for our needs. We we need to bring our needs before God. That's what God commands us to do. What does He say? Call unto me, and I will answer thee. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you for everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. You need grace for the day. You need the Holy Spirit for this moment of stress and busyness, pray. The Catechism puts it so beautifully. Prayer is necessary because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. If we don't pray for it, then we may not expect to receive it. And then third, the lesson we need to learn from Jesus' prayer life is to be fervent in prayer, especially as we look ahead to the future. That's what the day of prayer is for too, right? Looking ahead to the future, looking ahead to the planting season, the the busy season, the growing season, looking ahead to our physical and material needs in the future with our work and our industry, looking ahead to our spiritual needs, looking ahead to where God might lead us in the future, and we commit our way to the Lord in prayer. That's what Jesus did too, right? It's very striking. When did he pray? Remember those instances. He prayed at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. The posture he had when he was, was baptized with the Holy Spirit was a posture of prayer. He prayed the whole night before he chose his twelve apostles. He prayed as he stood at the top of Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration, as he began his last trek to Jerusalem to die for our sins. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, right at the very beginning of His hour, when His hour had come. He prayed just before He died. He prayed as He looked at what stood before Him, and He prayed for God to lead Him and to provide. And that's the example for us. Do the same. At the beginning of the day, pray. Right? At the moment you sit down, you're ready to take up your work, pray. What what does my industry profit me? if God's blessing isn't on it. At the beginning of a new job, pray. At the beginning of writing your test in high school, pray. As you look to the future, don't worry about tomorrow. But pray. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Pray earnestly. Pray continually. Pray persistently. Pray according to the promises of God. Especially with your earthly needs. Recognize that God is your Father. He cares for your real, tangible needs that you feel in your own physical body. He knows those needs. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust in Him and pray according to His promises. And pray, trusting alone in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and not in your own works or even the the merits of your own prayer. And be assured that God is faithful. He was faithful to Jesus. He was faithful to Jesus. He answered Jesus' prayers perfectly. And for Jesus' sake, God is faithful to his people who are in Jesus Christ and who pray in Jesus' name. So that may, be a, may that be an encouragement to us. As we look ahead, we take up our work, and we, we seek to serve the Lord with the strength and the opportunities he's given us. May that be a help to us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for prayer. And we thank Thee for tonight and this study of Jesus. Not an example only, but an example nevertheless to us. And we pray, Father, give us more of Jesus. More, more of that same Holy Spirit who dwelt within Jesus. Give us more of the heart of Jesus. So that as we live out of Jesus, we might also, by thy grace, pray more and more like Jesus. Give us that gift, more and more of prayer. May we enjoy it. And we pray again, supply us our earthly and material needs. But especially supply us the grace, so that we always look to thee alone. And in this way, Father, may thy name alone receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.